This is Out of the Box, where two TV producers and a medium discuss creativity, spirituality, and how the story we tell ourselves can stop us from reaching our full potential. strange one isn't it in in no matter what the product is controls a strange one because you'll want control of the reaction at the end yeah. of the populace and you can't get that mm. so you're in for a, a world of disappointment yeah. and and that's going against anything that's new there's all sorts of cycles for things that are different and new and one of them is not mass acceptance um, it never has been and it probably never will be Firstly, I just wanted to thank you for carving out time for this conversation because I think having discussions where you get to tap into people's knowledge and explore ideas is a way to help us work out who we are and what story we want to tell. So thank you. That's a pleasure. Uh, I'm not sure, though, that they're my ideas. (laughs) They're not that original, they're from above. Yeah, that's the problem with what I do, is a part of me is in there, um, but a part of me is always listening, being told, instructed, so to speak, um, as to what's going on, what the solutions are, what the answers are, what's the underlying reason. So it's a duopoly world, uh, and there are times I allow myself just to think But I find if you just think, you're constrained. Mm. And you're constrained by your upbringing, you're constrained by how you're taught to think, by everything you've you've done. So it's much more liberating when we see ourselves as bigger than that. I mean, that's a beautiful segue into what I was hoping the three of us could talk about today with that sweet spot between constraints and freedom because in our workplace whether we're talking to people as television producers and creating and making stories for screens or as coaching people to write and produce their their own story so they can live their own path that that spot between being original, authentic and an individual and expressing that story but knowing that we're living in a world of constraints. For Paul and I, we often call constraints beautiful constraints and it actually allows us nearly to feel more free but in some ways I suppose it's a response to constraints, whether they're self-imposed or society's constraints. It's that response to the constraints uh, that allows you to feel free, but the term freedom, I suppose, comes down to semantics. So I was interested to hear what your definition or belief on even freedom sure. is. Before I do, in what you've said, Uh-oh. A, a, <laughs> a lot of the constraints that people would feel in putting work before you would be financial constraints. Um, constraints of time, uh, constraints of getting product to market. And and so all of these, I use the term loosely, material things. And we also have constraints from different stakeholders. So whether that's the creator or also then sure. the network who may be playing it safe and yeah. safety can be a constraint. And 
that really can get the original person. They can get, can get them down, and that's where you come into it. But I'm not convinced that they're constraints per se. And so therefore we'll slip over to freedom and then go back to constraints. In my final two years of um, high school, and I don't remember which one because it was a wee while ago. We had a Jesuit priest turn up and we were um, camped off for a week. Um, well, it wasn't at a camp. And we were taken away for a week's whatever one would call it, I can't remember. And the topic was to find out what freedom was. So we spent a, a week of our otherwise study time <laughs> understanding what freedom was. And at the end of the week was one line, according to this uh, Jesuit priest, to do what you ought. And he led us down that rather than we led the discussion. But it's caused me to think, um, ponder that for the rest of my life off and on. There's merit in what he said and there's merit in the outcome, but just not how they got there. The way he put it is that if you do anything other than what you ought, you're going to be constrained, and you'll be constrained by the law, you'll be constrained by the rules of the church. Therefore, you won't be free because you'll be punished because that's how society works. And the only way you'll remain free, and in that he, he, he virtually meant physically free, as well as free from um, um, your pocket being fined, was to do as you ought. Uh, there's something in the ought, but his argument was very narrow, and of course, by definition, it was slightly self-serving because... He was um, pushing the line of the church um, and the rules of the church and the state. And at that time, back in the 60s, it was definitely um, taught that the rules of the church overrode the state. But then as we go on, we think about freedom and we look at it from a spiritual perspective. It's a massive topic. And if we just forget about freedom for a moment and we look around at all of the people on earth who are not happy who are dissatisfied, who are unfulfilled. And that's going to relate to the way their life's going. Then we come to it from a spiritual perspective and, and, and put it against that, all those unhappy people. And <clears throat> we take it that our life is a predetermination in which we have two aims, and that is to pay back a debt from another time and to grow as a human being. And uh, no matter how we grow, that's got to show itself in becoming more loving, including working our way slowly towards an impossible task on earth, and that's unconditional love. So there's a whole lot of things that are meant to happen for us and are predetermined to happen for us to get to that point. And a whole lot of decisions we have to take. That means that, and, and, and I'll just go back, Freedom comes up in that as freedom of choice. So what I'm putting is that because there's a predetermination of things, we're going to meet people, things are going to happen in our life pretty much regardless of what we do. Freedom of choice is how we react to that. And we'll make a good choice or we'll make a bad choice. And as I've said previously, it's not that important that we make a bad choice. What's bad is if we don't make any choice. Because if we make a bad choice, we've got a freedom to get back on track subsequent to that. And our mind is constructed to help us, and our mind's constructed at a number of levels. And from our teaching, the mind has 11 different levels. And at the deepest levels 
of our mind is all of the things we've learned before, all of that knowledge we bring forward within us, and it's there. But on the top parts of the mind are the things that we need to survive day by day, and and we call those immediacy, the, the needs of immediacy. And humans almost always react to immediacy. Therefore, they'll mostly, unfortunately, put aside what the deep inner them is telling them they ought to because they've learned that before. And they'll err to what suits them in the short term. And not only do humans operate like that as humans, governments operate like that and businesses operate like that. Churches operate like that. Everyone does, sadly. So <clears throat> that's putting society down the wrong path because of the needs of immediacy. That is, we're overriding that which we know we ought to be doing at those points in time when we're meant to make big decisions. The outcome of that is that very few people are doing what they're meant to be doing. That doesn't mean they're meant to be a butcher and they're a baker. It, it might mean that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. Because if they're a butcher instead of a baker, it might be because they're meant to um, meet certain people playing their trade as a butcher as against from being out the back talking to an oven as a baker. Um, So there's a reason that we do things and there's a reason that we're meant to do things. The point is very few people do what they're meant to do because it doesn't suit them in the short term, because they don't look at the long term, because they're afraid of the long term, because they don't know what it will hold, and they prefer to do what's obvious to them in the immediacy. Those who are genuinely fulfilled and happy on earth are those who have either followed their path or got finally got onto their path. That is what they are meant to do, or their purpose. And spiritually, we call that on purpose, um, um, meaning the French way, E-N, purpose. Um, and that's the aim. If we can find ourselves to be on purpose with what we're meant to be doing on earth, then we feel uplifted, we feel liberated, and we feel free. Freedom will only ever come to an individual when they're on purpose. Apart from that, there's going to be lots of levels of disenchantment. The opposite to disenchantment is um, enchantment. When you're free and you have freedom, you feel enchanted and you feel enchanted by life and you feel enchanted by what you're doing and there's a magic and there's a mystery to it. And you get very excited by it. And therefore you lose the constraints of what's been put before you in this life. So the biggest obstacle to freedom, to being on purpose, are all the constraints that are put upon us at a societal level, where we do as we ought in the way I was taught by the Jesuits. That is, we follow every rule that's put before us because it's a rule, not because it necessarily fits what's meant for us and what's going to take us to where we want to go. So the sum of all of that is that freedom can only come within you. So it's a state within. When you're doing what you came here to do or exceeding that, doing better, that's going to make you feel more loving and it's going to make you feel more enchanted with life. But in no way does it make life easier. Generally, it'll make it slightly harder. It's how you deal with life. It's how you deal with the issues that come before you because you find a way forward without being 
knocked over by what people do to you, say to you, or the blockages, or as you call constraints, that come in front of you. If we go back to your original point, and a, uh, a TV network or whoever in your world says, no, we're playing safe, that's a good product, but I don't want it right now, that's a constraint or it's meant. Therefore, it's not where you're meant to go. And you're going to, a lot of people will say, but my product's equal to or better than someone else's product who's on there. But they don't understand that that's not the path that was meant for them. So it's a different pathway. And it's very hard to get a freedom for them because they're envisioning themselves to have success in the way that someone else does. Not everyone is meant to preach from the mount to 10,000 people. For some, it's to one person at a time. So that's the difficulty of understanding what your purpose is, understanding what's a true constraint and what's not. And most constraints, all constraints, I'm sorry, we need to try and work through. Some constraints we then have to recognise that we let them go and we need to find another way. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's so many conversations in the head <laughs> that that can go through that whole process i mean i often think in television production and probably in life you know there's three stages there's this will never work which is stage one this will never work how do we make it work stage two and then stage three is hmm this might work and going through those and and often when we most in our head is that first stage this will never work and that's where most people give up right and then that second stage where this will never work how do we make it work is is where you start to work through and and maybe you know you've gone beyond that boundary and seen possibility and then that third stage where you've just you're in the flow and you're like you're actually the constraint is now a gift and what does that gift look like? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that, that sounds great. The only risk I would see in what you do is, ta- is second-guessing, so tailoring someone's product to, yeah. the, to the receiver yeah. rather than trying to get the receiver to see it differently. Yeah. Well, that yeah. also comes back. We have that exact conversation all the time. So they're nearly changing something depending on who's going to buy it. And our question always comes back to what story or what are you trying to tell? Mm. And that's also why we're probably not just on screen because it's also what audience are we trying to reach? Who are we trying to connect to? And what's the best way to tell that that inner story? Mm. So, But it's also interesting because when you start to think like that, with freedom comes a lot of responsibility. Oh, yes. Yeah. The more free you are, the more responsibility you have to achieve what you're meant to, which means everything becomes more serious. Mm-hmm. And, and less people to blame. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Well said. <laughs> yeah. that's, um, that's a conundrum in life, isn't it? Whose fault is it? Yeah. Yes. But if you think about like now with you know, the rise of the democratization, say, of, of content creation and the rise of platforms like youtube and tiktok and you know if you get a no from a traditional distribution platform that's no longer a no which in itself is challenging for people who have used that no as a reason to no longer continue and so you see 
the the rise of creators who are like well that doesn't matter i'm just it's within me i'm on purpose i'm going to do this regardless of whether you're watching as opposed to i'm going to do this if you only if you give me permission mm-hmm. and so you see mm-hmm. you know purpose driven creators mm-hmm. and market driven creators mm-hmm. and and i think that's that's an interesting conundrum in itself it sure is because you're on purpose it doesn't mean that you're going to get it the first shot mm. There are whole sorts, all, all sorts of reasons why you wouldn't. So that's difficult and it will test because in everything, before we achieve anything in life, there's always a test. So the, mm. it might or might not be that knockback. Yeah. I mean, how can you tell when it's a test or it's a no because you're not on purpose? Or it's rubbish. Or it's just your <laughs> shit house. <laughs> The last, ones, <laughs> the last ones are relevant because of recent times, everyone's a writer, yeah. at least in their mind, yeah. and they've got, they want to tell their story and they want to do it by writing or, or creating something. Yeah. And not everyone has that ability and it's difficult for them to see. And there's a lot of sameness in stories and there's a timing to all of that, as you well know. Mm. So, um, But even that, sorry to interrupt, yeah. is in- interesting because... Everybody has that ability to write and the constraint of maybe just your current ability. Mm-hmm. And often we see projects that, that are sort of pitched or, or you know, shared with us and they're very derivative of other people's work. Mm-hmm. And so they've not gone that extra layer. Mm-hmm. And when you look at remarkable work that we all experience and that we all watch and we share and we talk about, you can see the layers of work, you know, and whether that's compounded from previous generations or, com- you know, whatever it is, you you see that they didn't stop at the surface. They kept digging deep and they got to the part that was really difficult before they shipped the work. And, mm. and I think we live in such an interesting time where we just want to get it out quickly because we can. Mm. And so that, that craft is the different, you know, a table is four legs and a, and a top. But there's a difference between that and a crafted piece of furniture, mm. um, and so it's it's that you know learning the craft. I wonder whether there's a a laziness or this sense of wanting that immediacy, that quickest yeah, route. The, to there market. is, but there's also um, I I, th- I believe there is, but there's al- there's also something else. Is it, it, a lot of people have something happen in their life, uh, some form of tragedy, big or small. Mm. And uh, an extreme one would be um, the loss of a child, for example, or the loss of a partner in tragic circumstances or, you know, a a cancer. And the consequence of that is that they um, get through it and they believe that their journey, therefore, is to go and help others to deal with that same thing. That might be or it might not be. Because if all they do is try and repeat their story, one, it loses heart, but two, all they've thought about is that tragedy. The great ones that you're talking about with layer upon layer use that as an opportunity to examine the totality of their life and the totality of the world they're in. And only then, and that will include the stories of, of, of um, previous generations, mm. if they're lucky enough to be in a culture where they exist, which is usually European, then they're the people who will get a much deeper look and start to give a different and, and the excellent product. That's st- starting to step into innovation. Mm. 
But let's not forget to circle back to how you know if it's a no or if you're on purpose. And I'm definitely asking for personal reasons. Sure. <laughs> if, if, if you get a no, you need someone to tell you that the product's terrible. If you can't, no one tells you and you can't work it out for yourself or keep going. But regardless, keep going. And if the no's and the knockbacks continue... In, in the example you've cited, well, and it's not what you're meant to be doing. If it's life generally, we're not on purpose when the same problems keep arising. So we're not changing, we're not adapting, we're not doing something very different. So the same sets of issues keep arising in different guises, like we keep going to different workplaces, but the same issues happen for us. Well, then you're doing something wrong and you're not on purpose. It's telling you to do something totally different. For some people, that means they can't survive in large organizations. For other people, they can't survive in small organizations. It might be anything. Mm. But it's a repetition of the bad. Hmm. When you were talking about freedom before, a word that kept coming up for me, and we hear it a lot, is control. Hmm. What's the relationship between control and freedom how do people use it paul well often people like i just i just need to control the story or i just need to control you know i just want control of this creatively or well it's interesting isn't it that conundrum between creative freedom and creative control that's and they could be interchangeable in our in with some people that speak with us Mm. oh now i get it um so what they don't, this is a question, what the, I, I take it what they don't want is some, someone to change the, the basis of their work in order for it to become commercial. Um, there's a lot of fear that sits behind it and, and, I, and I wonder often whether it's I want to control it because then because you're f- fearful of being found out that it's maybe not as good as you think it is. <laughs> yeah. So by controlling it, you can control everybody's reaction to the That's work. That's exactly where I was getting to. That's a strange one, isn't it? In, in No matter what the product is, control's a strange one because you'll want control of the reaction at the end yeah. of the populace, and you can't get that. Mm. So you're in for a, a world of disappointment. Yeah. And, and that's going against... Anything that's new, there's all sorts of cycles for things that are different and new, and one of them is not mass acceptance. Um, mm. It never has been and it probably never will be. So if people want to control, and they want to control all of the way through, um, they've got a problem and they're only going to be, they're only going to let themselves down and to be let down. They're entitled to be in control of the product that they give you. They're entitled for that. But if I read a novel, the thing I see at the front or the back is thanks to the editor, thanks to those who gave input. So there's no one-person product. And Mm. from a spiritual perspective, there's certainly no one-person product. We would believe that anything we do is with the assistance of our guides. And we believe that we're touched by the energy beyond Earth of, of other places of existence that in a small or a big way, can impact upon us. So by seeing yourself as all important, you're going to be small. Mm. And that's the problem. So anyone who wants to control is trying to keep themselves small. Mm. And if and as they try to pre-determine the outcome, 
they are essentially not opening it up to the freedom of the journey. Correct. They become like a politician, just a popularist. Mm. Mm. Because I, I would imagine freedom, to me, as much as anything, is about letting go of control and being open to <laughs> ideas. <laughs> By definition, it has to be. Yeah, that's right. Well, it has to be because we don't know where it's taking us. We just know by some inner feel that this is where we have to go. We've got no idea where the end is. We're rarely if ever told what it's going to look like. All we have to do is just keep going and trust. And like I might have said, spiritually, it's all about one step. If you take one step, the next one will open up. Mm. And if it doesn't open up, you probably took the wrong step. Mm. what's potentially a silly question here we go here we go what's the meaning of life (laughs) (laughs) it's nearly that we've mentioned a few times when you're either on path or freedom or or that you have to listen or feel a feeling inside is that feeling the same for everyone or how do you know what that feeling is or you might just have a sore, sore stomach? Like how, what, you know how there's some people that say, oh, I hear a voice and others are like, oh, it's my creative insides and there's others where it just feels right. But And some of them tell the truth. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's different. If you're... If if you're meant to be um, a sports broadcaster, through your childhood you're going to have an active interest in sport. That might or might not be playing it, but you're going to have an active interest in it. It's going to mean something to you beyond kicking a football or throwing a ball or whatever other sport there might be. Um, So it shows itself and it excites your interest and it shows as a feeling. If ever... You have you know, a 20-year-old or a 19, 18-year-old, I don't know what to do. You just need to follow their interests as a child. Tell me about everything you did. And it's in there. It will be there. And if you know, in the modern era, I played games, what sort? Why did you do that? What else did you do? It will be in there. But it might be hidden away in what they ate and how they ate. They might, might be, need to be a chef. It could be any sort, but it's, it will give them a feeling. And the feeling's one of interest first, which builds to an excitement. And it's a world that enchants you and you want to be a part of. You would imagine, or you do imagine, that that's really, really special and you want to be a part of it. You don't go somewhere to do something because it's not a good thing to do. People do that, but they do that for the money or the power. I mean, not many people, no one's meant to come to be a drug dealer. That's, you know, they're off purpose. But they do that for the money or the power. And is, is being on purpose, with an E, on purpose, um, is, that's a journey though. So if you're on that journey and just trusting the feeling and making decisions, being free to take the next step, do you ever get to the point where, where you are 
confidently on path or are you always... No, you definitely get that. Then you're faced with, and you get there quite quickly, then you're faced with decisions as to, which come from feelings or from listening to your guide in my case or whatever's happening in life for for people who don't have that ability. Um, The choices then come as to which direction within that specialisation whether you, how far do you push, what, how big do you get or not get, what's the most important thing. And you have to have an understanding about why you're doing this. And at the end of the journey, what was the relevance of that? What, uh, how I get, one of the ways I get to that is that in this area, there are a lot of retired people. And there are a lot of retired people with money. And in the men, that shows because they've held positions of authority and even in retirement they you know if they were not at the very top of their organization they're usually quite rude if they're at the top they're not rude (laughs) Um, but be that as it may they've lost their power they're not happy and when you talk to them the older they get the less they refer back and a lot a, a lot of the ones i talk to um will say that it's, it's lost its relevance and they question why they did it. And they have to start a relationship with their wife upon re- retirement. They have to find something with their children. And they occupy themselves with so much to replace work. And there's something missing in them. So the, in all of this for freedom, there's a resource that we forget about and it's called us. And it's how much we apply ourselves to any one thing. And at the end of it, we have to say that was worthwhile. And if we can't say that or don't believe we can say that, we need to make an adjustment. Mm. I think freedom in the creative industries is also an interesting balance between uh, creatively free or freedom and also financial freedom. And sometimes I feel like people feel like they're needing to make a choice. So, and I know we've probably unpacked that, but could we dive a little bit further into financial freedom? Uh, Sure. First of all, spiritually, there's an amount of money you're meant to have. And that might be a lot or that might be a little. You'll only not feel free if you try and achieve less or more. But if you're acting in accord with how much you're meant to have, there'll be a feeling of freedom in achieving that. Pardon me, but therefore that comes back to knowing on the inside how much you're meant to get. Most people ascribe to what society says they should have. They should have this much. They shouldn't have this much, which we all know is, um, what is it, keep up with the Joneses. And, and that's what causes people to get off track and they lose the freedom then. People would say to you, yes, but I need this amount of money in order to survive. Will they do the way, the way they're living? Yes. <laughs> but maybe we can change the way we're living to have more freedom in ourselves. We forget that the primary is freedom within ourselves as an entity, as a spirit. So we're here doing what we want And the other things will come as a consequence of that. What goes wrong is that financial freedom becomes an immediacy. But remember in saying that, that if we deliberately are irresponsible towards money, that will cause as big a debt as being too greedy. Mm. 
it it is interesting where you measure success, isn't it? So there's mm. the measuring success against other expect other people's expectations of what success is, mm. and the measurement of success based on your own expectations. Mm. And one in a way, it will ha- it will be a challenge to find freedom because there's a dishonesty mm. in that relationship. Whereas the only real relationship that you can find that freedom in terms of measure of success is within yourself. Yeah, and it requires a, a depth of internal looking. Yeah, mm. which, which is the which, hard work. Which very few people do. Yeah. So there's a knowledge that comes upon everyone that life's been okay or not. I just read Robin I, can Sharma. I, can, I, yeah. can I just tell a story? Yeah, go for it. <clears throat> Many years ago, Many, many years ago, a, uh, a gentleman was consulting my wife as a homeopath. And he had a cancer, a terminal cancer. And he came from Collingwood. And it was a long journey to get from Collingwood to, to Mornington to see her. And however he got there, he, he got there. And he was a man who his career had been as a criminal. So he was a career criminal from Collingwood of the old times and that was a hard place back in the day and his life had been spent mostly in jail and he knew he was dying and he knew he didn't have much time left and apart from giving him homeopathics which weren't going to fix his um, his cancer in any respect nor attempt to my wife suggested he see me and we have some med- one-on-one private meditations. So he actually came to our house. And he was a guy who, he, his face and his body showed his background. He was a hard man. Mm. He was a real hard man from his day. Did he know he was in the room with a copper? <laughs> uh, no, he didn't actually. Okay. But that's, that's another story, isn't it? But, but that wouldn't have worried him because he took people on their face. Mm. He and might I say an ex ex copper, <laughs> <laughs> and as I will say to many people, I was also an ex primary school student, <laughs> which had about the same relevance. Yeah, I'm still repeating. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the gentleman came twice. <clears throat> That's all he came, and at the end of the first thing, he just looked and felt different. And he said, "I can't believe it. I've never felt so much peace and acceptance." And then he said, how much do I owe you? I said, I'm not charging you. He said, I can't believe it. You're not charging me. I said, no, 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 it's a gift. And I just want you to find some peace and happiness before you pass. He came back another time and he left. He said, I don't need to come back because I found it. I'm there. And he died within weeks. That was probably the biggest thing of feeling and benefit that I've ever done. Now, there's a man who found it after a life of, um, of crime, but he found it weeks before he died. And the fact that you can play a part in that, so he had a few weeks, is really important. So he had a few weeks of, of bliss before he passed, which would have been fantastic for he and his wife. And she was a lovely woman who supported him and had supported him his, the entirety of his journey, notwithstanding that most of that was in jail. So it was... It was a great story. I'm, I'm telling it to exemplify that we all find it. It's mm. just when. Mm. And he mm. described that as acceptance? Acceptance and peace. Mm. Yeah. He looked different. He just looked fine. He accepted his life. He accepted his mistakes. And he accepted that there was nothing he could do about that now. 
and that he had to um, face the consequences. And that's certainly acceptance and acknowledgement and uh, digging that little bit deeper is the step towards freedom. Mm. It is. Back to what... Uh, yeah, it is. And, and from what Paul and I were saying also, it's part... You have to dig. You'll never find yourself and you'll never find freedom if you identify yourself as a worker or as a sports person or as anything else. You have to identify yourself as yourself. Therefore, we have to find that and we have to work very hard to find that. Unfortunately, industry, government, um, um, churches are full of leaders who don't do that. Mm. They just play their role and that's the dilemma. So we don't have those to look up to. When we often, I think we've said this before, that often whether we're as as producers or as as coaches, mentors, when we when people present themselves to us, very often they're at a state of overwhelm. Mm. But interestingly, in the life of their creative project, that is probably the most free they'll ever be mm. because they don't have any constraints. Mm. And it's only when we start transacting mm. or bringing money to the table or mm. talking to the customer, the market, yeah. that all those constraints and and by adding those constraints and essentially, in inverted commas, taking away freedom, that's when the freedom happens. Mm. So it's almost sometimes the freedom and the lack of constraints or th- and things to push against mm. become overwhelming and mm. create inaction sure what that i would, just came to me then mm, just what, what i would say to that is this someone comes to you in that state of overwhelm uh, that's because they've got their project to the stage that they think is the best they can do and mm. now they want some help to get it to market and to them they're gauging success by getting it to market mm. and you're the vehicle to do whatever you need to do to make that happen they probably haven't thought through deeply how you're going to do that or, or how much you need to cut into it. But but nonetheless, you're the vehicle for them. So in some respects, you're the saviour, but it's predicated on success equals get it to market. Mm. For some people, that's not meant to happen. Mm. Success is to have got as far as they have. So they're going to be devastated or all sorts of things and feel a lack of freedom because it hasn't got to market as they want it to. Or you will say, make these changes and maybe we can find another market to get it to. So they're full of hope for a period of time mm. and then dashed again. It, it's, it's that definition of success. Mm. And for everyone, it's not getting a name in highlights. That's the point I'm, I was making before and trying to make again. So part of your function and part of any... And it doesn't matter if it's a creative project or whatever it is, it's applying for a job. Yeah, We can be devastated when we don't get a job. We weren't meant to get that job because we didn't fit at that time and it would have been a constraint. That's the biggest constraint that happens to people. We end up in a workplace where the rules affect us too much. The greatest lack of freedom is in the workplace. And and that's because organisations would say, we have values and you've got to ascribe to those values. Well, I've got to say that generally speaking, organisations' values are far lower than individuals' values. Mm. So most individuals have to reduce their values and operate and reduce their energy and operate within themselves to fit into an organisation. And when do they make that leap to be themselves? And that's ostensibly when they get into leadership, by then it's too late. Mm. They're entrenched in a role 
They're entrenched in, 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 in a charade. Mm. So people have to find a freedom to be who they are in an organization and take the risk that that will work or not. Mostly, and what organizations rely upon is the fear that they won't do that because they have to fit in and keep their job. Mm. So the biggest constraint people face uh, is in the workplace. Mm. Be who you are. If that doesn't work, move on. And again, the fear of, I suppose, moving on and being on purpose at the risk of having less yes. financially, having a smaller house, yes. living in a different area is is more scary and so people avoid pain than they do pursue pleasure. Yeah. And, you know, so that's where the, yeah, the that's friction true. is there. That's very true. It's a very, that's very true about pain and pleasure because pain is the superior feeling. Yeah. Mm. Much more than pleasure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's very, very true. Um, and, and they do all of that. But that's because, again, we see ourselves as successful if we're in a certain socioeconomic all sorts of changes can take place if it benefits us. It comes back, Carla, to that thing that we talk about a lot, attached versus committed. Absolutely. You can be attached to the idea of freedom or committed to freedom. Mm. And the, the two, in a way, until you become committed to freedom, freedom will not come because mm. the attachment mm. is sort of like you've got one foot in and one foot out. Mm. And you're, you're hedging your bets, I suppose. Mm. That's, that's very interesting. That, that's a terrific way to look at things. You're dealing with people one-on-one, -on -one, and if I was a music teacher, you know, I'd see a student and I'd know they're attached or committed, and I'd only want to teach the committed. Mm -hmm. And that's how you would easily discern who you put your effort into. But in an organisation, it's different to that. There are very few committed. An organisation per se is forever changing, whether people stay there for a long time they'll go through retirement but mostly they'll move on anyway so it's, it's an ever-shifting culture so people are only attached for now um, and there's a chameleon attitude to so much of what happens in workplaces and life generally the commitment is something that's longer it's a commitment because that's who i am and that's who i want to be and i would put to you that you would actually find very few who are committed because mm -hmm. that's that's life if you're committed, you're probably on purpose. Imagine a job interview where you sat with someone and instead of them telling you, this is why you should employ me, they actually like, this is, the conversation was more them trying to work out why the business was right for them. And I'm sure that does happen. To some but, degree but, it does, but on the surface. That's right. Yeah. You know, and even just going, okay, well, it feels like if you were an employee, like it feels like maybe five years is about right because mm. by then you would have done this and then you should leave, mm. you know, and, and then we were constantly regenerating mm. the workforce and rather than being attached or not moving on because we were fearful, mm. everyone would be in their prime. Mm. That would be a cool, mm. be a cool I, environment. I've to always held to the belief that security is your ability and therefore you just, and, and there are hiatus periods in that, of course, which are a bit dis uh, upsetting. But um, if, if you've got the ability, you'll, you're fine. Mm. You're fine. You'll have security. Mm. Therefore, that financial pressure can, can mostly go. I wonder mm. if you just took that pressure off, knowing 
that if you're on path, the right amount will come. Which sounds simple, doesn't it? Let's just get out of our way and, and, you know, but I think even just to me, what comes across even stronger than that is the idea of it's just one step in front of the other with the comfort of knowing that it's all mapped out. Mm. And so it doesn't actually really matter so long as you just keep doing something doing something That's right. and and don't enable others to stop you and ultimately don't enable yourself to stop yourself mm. there are a few things in that or two in particular paul so many people listen or take advice from friends or workmates and so forth all they're getting is advice upon what works for the other person which usually won't work for you but it's put with such a vehemence that you think it might be right, so you take it on. If we go back from that and we talk about feeling, the difficulty we have with feeling, Carla, is not what to feel, but to feel. Mm. I don't remember getting any lessons as a child on how to feel. And to take time out just to sit and feel what was happening in my body, how I was feeling about anything. In fact, how I felt about anything was absolutely irrelevant in in the scheme of my upbringing and that's a great sadness so people aren't taught to feel so then we get to being a so-called adult and we're expected to learn how to feel well we'll certainly feel the pain and the hurts that's for sure but are they enough for us to take an action and at what point do we take that action and that has to come from another feeling I've had enough of this rejection enough of this pain and hurt I have to move on because life's dilemma is we generally stay too long because we have a view that we need to be punished a bit more. It's that inability to learn how to feel and to accept the depth of what impact that's having upon us and our life, in our body, in our emotions, in everything else, that determines timings on things. Mm. Therefore, people need to be taught how to feel. Or if not, they need to spend time just feeling. Well, it's interesting. We did a workshop with Russell Brand and um, he took time to stop and hug. Mm. You know, I got the biggest hug, got Mm. two big bear hugs from him. And in that moment, I felt really important. Mm. You know, here's this global superstar and he's taking this moment to give me a hug. Mm. And it was really powerful. And I watched him do it in the room. There's 150 people in the room. And he pretty much went round and hugged probably half of them not me no you were working doing stuff i was just enjoying my hug two of them actually carla just saying um but it but it was a really powerful moment Mm. and i've thought to myself since oh you know did it was it authentic was it just his thing but it doesn't actually matter. Like he, it doesn't. There's this transference of energy in that Ab- moment that absolutely. the rest of the world just faded to black. Except for one question. Was the hug special because of the feeling he gave you or was the hug special because he was a global CEO? It was special because of the feeling. That's, then that's what matters. Mm. That being the case, then he was genuinely giving mm. and not being in himself mm. and that's a gift he's got. Mm. Mm. What came across to me very strongly was he knew how hard the work was, but he and he acknowledged he was going to falter mm. and he was going to make mistakes, mm. but he kept showing up to do the work. Mm. And that was a really 
I think that for me was a bit of a turning point for us as a business as well and as a partnership because I was like, yeah, it's tough, but, you know, we are going to fail and there's comfort knowing that you're going to fail and that's good. Um, and whether you call it failure or it's mm. just, just you know, something that you're moving through and it's important to move through it um, because, you know, as you walk through the forest, sometimes you, you know, you're on dry ground sometimes you're on you know mud up to your ankles but you just keep going and you experience the beauty of the whole thing mm, I, so, I do have a problem that's great i do have a problem with the term failure um, i was reframing i know you were and you did it you <laughs> did a feel it. I could yeah, sense it you did it beautifully but <laughs> but but if we take it beyond us three or we three and, and there'll be a lot of people who follow the rules of success and failure mm. and rarely will they be their own you can have in in your work or any form of work something brilliant, but the world's not ready for it. Mm. Mm. And is that a failure or just the world's not ready for it? Was the world ready for Leonardo's helicopter mm. or did it take 500 years for the world to be ready? Therefore, did he fail? Was the world ready for his umbrella mm. um, or did it take 400 years for someone else to come up with an umbrella? Mm. So there's a point in time. Nourish and push and do the hard work. On yourself, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you thank once you. again. Um, I'm desperate to ask a question about the difference between freedom for male and female, um, but maybe we'll leave that male-female discussion to next time. Sure. Oh, now I really want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the Box is produced by Studio 720. Imagine your world differently.